Hi everybody, um, my name is Bayo Okeowo and you're welcome to another episode of Africa Rights Talk by the Center for Human Rights. On this episode, we have none other than Professor Charles Nguena, a renowned professor of human rights at the Center for Human Rights. But on the episode today as well, we'll be talking about a recently published book called What is Africanness? Professor, you're welcome to this episode. Well, thank you. Uh, let me begin by thanking the publishers of the book, uh, Pretoria University Law Press, for the enormous courtesy uh, in inviting me to do a podcast uh, on the book. Uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, I work at the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria, uh, and my work is mainly uh, in the field of human rights, and in particular uh, in the area of equality. Most of my published work, or at least before this book, had dealt with human rights in one form or the other. Right. And it has been my goal to strive for equality for marginalized social groups. Uh, that has been a driving force in all my work, uh, whether it is marginalization on the grounds of the body, or gender, race, yeah. culture, or otherwise. Right. So this book, uh, although it is not about human rights, nonetheless, mm. it's about equality. It's about looking at a historically marginalized social group. The book itself, I think it comes at a very relevant time where there's a lot of conversation about African Renaissance, Pan-Africanism, and all such other definitions of what Africa should be and could be. Um, and so you have this book titled, What is Africanness? It could be a contentious um, subject matter in some circles. Um, I have had conversations around it with some people and the, there's not been a common consensus as regards what exactly is African, who is African. Can you explain a bit what was the inspiration behind the writing of this book? No, thank you for the question. Uh, as I acknowledge in the book, uh, this is not actually the book I had originally planned to write. Uh, I come, as I said earlier, from an academic background. I had wanted to write a book on African sexual citizenship. That was my original goal. And mainly it was in order to challenge the hegemony of heterosexuality as the culturally, politically, and juridically accepted African sexuality. I had planned to use human rights jurisprudence as my main analytic tool. However, as I tried to make headway with this original idea, it became apparent to me that I could not proceed with the writing without first addressing who constituted the subjects of my inquiry. So in, in many ways, I'm trying to answer your question. Mm -hmm. It became clear that I needed first to lay a broader philosophical background and address the question who and what is African before I could discuss sexualities. So ultimately, it became necessary for me to excavate the historical and cultural contexts in which Africans are made or make themselves. Uh, it is also this background that gives the book its broad triangulation of race, culture, and sexuality. Right. So in short, the question 
what is Africanness mm. is a discourse question. Mm. So I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> uh, but what I hope I have done in the book is to develop a method for answering that question. That is very interesting because it was one of the questions I was going to ask you for sure that um, it seems that the approach you took to writing of the book was more of you challenging existing notions about what we know as being African and who is African and not necessarily reaching certain conclusions, which also could be seen in the fact that the book doesn't have a concluding chapter. It's more like a, um, you, you, you have an epilogue um, in the book. What What's the reason for that? Yeah, the epilogue is deliberately there uh, to register uh, my concession that there is no answer to my question. There is no dogmatic answer to my question. Rather, uh, we have responses uh, to the question which can differ. Uh, so ultimately, um, I try and develop a method for determining how Africanness is constructed by asking the question, how have Africans been named mm -hmm. and by whom? And that's important. And how do they name themselves? Right. Because identity is rarely a one-way street. Uh, it is also important to acknowledge what the subject thinks of himself or herself. And I also ask the question, which I, I, I think is a neglected question. How are Africans likely to name themselves in the future? Right. So I think beneath all these questions uh, is my uh, conviction that identity is not static. Mm. It's always becoming and is always proliferating. And we can't say we have reached the point where Africans define themselves finally right. and exclusively. When you talk about how have Africans been named, and it would seem as, as if that might also refer to the past, the colonialists and um, the history of apartheid. And um, now how are Africans naming themselves and the evolution of you know, some African scholars and the definitions that are being given to what exactly is African? And in your book, you also refer to how problematic some of those um, boxed definitions might be. Can you kind of elaborate a bit in the comparison you gave to the European um, definition of what is African and versus what Africans themselves now are, are doing? Yes, I, I'm happy to do that as part of the expansion of the concept of the book. Uh, but let me begin by saying that in one single book, uh, it will be difficult to mm -hmm. answer all the questions. Uh, so what I did was to deliberately uh, select three areas, uh, race, culture and sexualities, and use them as center points for exploring the question, including what did Europeans use for naming and what was behind the naming. Okay. Uh, so let me expand a little bit more critically uh, on the construction of African identities. So what I argue is that the naming of Africans by others as well as by themselves has been hostage to what I describe in the book as nativism. Right. Um, 
And I acknowledge that nativism may mean different things to different people, but in the context of the book, nativism can be described as a strong inclination to see the identity of social groups as made up of saturated and oppositional natural essences, such that by looking at the colour of the person, for example, what I describe as epidemic identity, Mm -hmm. you can reach a comfortable conclusion about who the person is. I argue that the naming of Africans has been dominated by two nativizing historical currents. One current is one which you asked about, uh, is an outcome of European imperialism and colonialism. And, but the other, which is equally important, is a reaction uh, to that naming, and it comes from black and African emancipatory discourses. So let me go back to the naming uh, of Africans in colonial discourses. So one can uh, comfortably describe uh, the European colonial discourses as ascribing a negative racial identity, uh, an identity that is normative, that is dependent on a prior template that inscribes whiteness as the gold standard Mm -hmm. and blackness Mm -hmm. as the bottom of race. And I call this in the book nativism from without because it is coming from somebody who's traveling from one part of the world uh, to another part of the world. And it represents, by all accounts, uh, rapacious racism. Uh, It is intended to pathologize, to conquer and colonize Africa. So that's what it stands for. Um, Then you have the other nativism, which is a counterpart to European nativism, which is a product of black or African emancipatory discourses. And rightly, it seeks to affirm blackness and correct a spoiled identity. However, and this is an important argument for me in the book. It is also vulnerable to excess as its European counterpart. This is because in its most orthodox form, it seeks to discover an authentic African identity. It contests European ideologies of white supremacy through the articulation of what we can describe as an ontology or philosophy of blackness. But the problem is that blackness is built around the skin. It is built around phenotype so that African identity is once again pre-constituted, is once again a closed identity, in other words. And I call this uh, nativism from within. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with both nativism. (laughs) Yes. One of the things that you made reference to in your book was um, the perception of what African sexuality is all about and how also on page 199 you made reference to the quote by um, Robert Mugabe, the former president of Zimbabwe, and how he didn't deem um, homosexual relationships to be in conformity with what has been perceived um, to be African. Um, Can you elaborate on this a bit? No, thank you very much for the question. 
And I would say that uh, sexuality, like race and gender, is a meta-narrative uh, in the sense that um, the words are being spoken in a context where heterosexuality has already achieved hegemony. Uh, and in that context, it's easy to understand why a departure from heteronormativity would be seen as dissent, and illegitimate dissent. Mm. But what we ask for, as we do for race, and as we do for cultures, is to concede that any society that you find on planet Earth has diversities. Yes, people will share similarities, but what also makes them uh, a society is respect for each other's difference. So it is important that we don't conceive any culture, uh, including sexual culture, as singular, uh, as a historical or essentialized biology, but rather we acknowledge that it may have multiple ancestries uh, and that different people may have different inclination. What is more important is that no one is harming the other. That's where our emphasis should be, rather than on prescribing a particular norm for the sake of upholding the norm. So in many ways, uh, it is masculinity which is expressing itself, uh, but on this occasion, uh, in the area of sexuality. But then, okay, so when we move from sexuality also then to culture, where you, where you refer to the fact that there are multiple cultures within the African continent, um, what would then be your own response to people who say the concepts such as it takes a village to raise a child or concepts such as Ubuntu are purely African and can't be shared? Well, you know, it's not too important for me to contest exclusivity uh, because identities are real. Uh, and if a particular community believes that their particular cultural practice uh, is exclusive to them, one uh, respects that. But what is important is also to have insight into other cultures and be able to appreciate that even though they might use a different name, they might also share similarities with you. Uh, and in any event, I think those particularities go to emphasizing certain aspects of a particular mm -hmm. culture without necessarily exclusively defining that culture. Right. What would you then say to those who feel that the, the concept of who is an African relies first and foremost on the skin the color of your skin to the point where um, in countries like South Africa, getting a bit political now, they wouldn't deem it possible to have a South African white um, aspire to become the president of the country, for instance. Yeah, I think the danger with that type of thinking is that it produces the apartheidization of cultures. The very thing that you are trying to depart from is the very thing that you end up constructing because you are seeing color as an essence. 
and something can't have an essence unless you are ascribing some value to it. And we know that race was constructed on a hierarchical uh, a pyramid. Um, and the danger is that many Africans may find themselves disenfranchised from continental citizenship or even national citizenship if blackness becomes the requirement for citizenship. In any event, we would ask the question, how black must you be mm -hmm. in order to... Because there are shades of blackness as well. That's right. So I think it's unproductive to invest too much uh, in the color of a person's skin. The more important question for me, uh, for Africanness, is belonging. Mm. Um, and I argue in the book, ultimately, that Africanness is belonging to Africa rather than geography, rather than blood, rather than culture. Then I, I would uh, play the devil's advocate, as it's always said now, um, and to kick back against that. Um, assuming some of our listeners would want to challenge you on that point of belonging and to say that. So are you saying, Prof, that anybody who probably from, um, from Germany, from Italy, from Jamaica, from the United States, could decide to claim to be African because they feel a sense of belonging, even though they were not born on the continent, they don't have any sort of ancestry that could be traced back to the continent. They do not have the, the skin color that is black, but they just feel a sense of belonging and they want to claim Africanness. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we always say as lawyers, uh, hard cases make bad law. <laughs> so you've given me a very <laughs> exceptional case. And I wonder how many people would want actually to claim citizenship Mm. on the hunch of belonging to something that they mm. don't genuinely belong to. Mm. So I think in the vast majority of cases, we're talking of people whose parents uh, have lived here, whose grandparents have lived mm. here, and to disenfranchise them from citizenship merely on the basis of color uh, seems utterly and morally wrong. Mm. So if we're speaking about citizenship then as well, um, how important do you think a premium should be placed on that? Should we have to distinguish, especially within the African context, do we benefit in any way in the distinctions we have currently on the basis of citizenship that you're from Nigeria or you're from Zimbabwe or you're from South Africa? Should it not be sufficient that we are African or do we still benefit from this distinction which some might argue is from the colonial past? Well, it is really from a colonial past, uh, but I think it has been rationalized over time because of socioeconomic uh, considerations. Mm. Uh, the goal, however, uh, is to create a greater Africa mm. with more porous borders, mm. uh, to give people a greater sense of belonging to the continent. But we do uh, concede that in the short term, uh, each country might want to erect its own barriers uh, for the sake of protecting uh, its economy and so forth. But those barriers must be porous to justice. Mm. They must be porous to treating human beings as human beings, not as means to an end. Right. 
So I want to just um, look at the book as an overall project in itself. Um, what would you consider to have been some of the challenges that um, you came across, either in terms of literature or other ways, while you were working on this book project? Yeah. So I think the the vast majority of the literature that I came across uh, has done a supreme job of reminding us of our past, mm. of reminding us of how the naming of Africans by Europeans was debasing. But what I think is missing is literature that addresses the present, that can answer the question, how do Africans name themselves today? Equally, what is missing uh, is literature that speaks to the future. Um, the literature is not entirely missing uh, because writers like Akil Mbembe uh, has addressed the question, the importance of acknowledging movement within Africa, the importance of acknowledging that identity is always shifting and is tied to history and is not an archaeological finding. What would you then hope to achieve with this book, um, whether within the academic space or the general society as a whole, um, now that it's added to the body of knowledge um, out there? Well, I would hope that the book makes a contribution towards a philosophy of inclusiveness. I would hope that the book speaks very clearly and unambiguously against discrimination based on race, based on culture, based on sexuality. So for me that would be, in terms of practical goals, the more important um, value of the book, that it reminds us that we are one greater community uh, despite of our manifest perception of differences. Nonetheless, uh, if we belong to Africa, we are Africans. What then would be the way forward in terms of resolving some of the conflicts that we currently have in terms of how we perceive what is African and who is African? Because I believe that trickles down in the manner in which we, you know, whether we conduct ourselves with regards to immigration or other policies that have been drafted, such as um, the criminalization of homosexuality, and when we disagree on these issues based on what people perceive what an African or what African is, how do we overcome those kinds of challenges? No, no, it's a very good question. And what I haven't mentioned so far is that behind the concept of identity is knowledge and power. Hmm. Um, whether you're going to be successful in challenging discrimination will depend on what knowledge you have. But ultimately... It depends on the power you have or the power you can have. Uh, and for as long as power resides at the center, uh, and if that center is a center that does not respect the diversity of its own community, then the problem is likely to remain. Mm -hmm. So much remains to be determined by whether as citizens we have the knowledge and whether as citizens we have the requisite power to challenge 
those nationalistic adumbrations of mm. citizenship that are very exclusive and very masculine. Um, Prof, what do you identify as, as African? Yeah, I identify myself <laughs> as African. Okay. Uh, but more, more, more narrowly, I think I identify myself as black African. Okay. Uh, because I think it's a political fact. So my argument is not that race does not exist, right. but that race is a construction. It's a socio-political construction that we have made. And for the time being, we live with it. But hopefully there'll be a time when race is no longer uh, necessary. So we, I argue in the book that race is a concept under erasure. At mm. some point, uh, it will eclipse. That'll be an interesting day to see, I believe. So for the listeners out there, the entire book is actually open access via the Center for Human Rights website. Um, thanks to the Pretoria University Law Press, you could download this free of charge. Um, I would encourage you to do just that. And um, what you need to search for is What is Africanness by Professor Charles Nguena. And um, I want to thank you, Professor, for the time. All right, this has been Africa Rights Talk um, by the Center for Human Rights. My name is Bayo Okewo. If you want to follow this conversation further, you can follow us on our different social media platforms. Check out the Center for Human Rights and the Africa Rights Talk podcast. Thank you for listening and until the next episode. Catch you next time.